Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 55 to Muscat. Hi, Alex. Hey, Paul. Now, that is a great place. That whole country is wonderful. Oman is, is just a great place. I love it there. I've actually never been. Oh, so you must. Obviously not. You must. My father lived there for a long time, and my grandfather lived there for a long time as well. And it's just a... They're some of the nicest people I've ever met in the world. Oh, wow. Quite the recommendation. Yeah, I, need to, I know place. that it's also a very beautiful place. Stunning. And it's a place. holiday des- destination as well. Plus, you know, when we commute through the Middle East, it's actually very close to uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. But right now, the story that everybody talks about, not with the airline angle, but we will only stick to the airline and air travel angle, is Qatar. Yeah. Uh, we're recording today, uh, June uh, 6th. And, well, the story was, what, like a day and a half ago? Saudi Arabia, UAE, and other countries have simply stopped their relationship with Qatar. They actually closed the border, which is a problem for the country because 85 of the, the country's imports are coming from that region. So suddenly they are, they are cut off. But for our topic, that creates a, quite a big issue for Qatar Airways yeah. because they not only have uh, no more flights to these countries... And the reverse, you know, Emirates and Etihad and other airlines have stopped flying to Doha, but also they have to avoid the airspace. Yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? I mean, the the flight suspension would have been pretty incredible in and of itself. And this was like, how much notice? 36 hours? Yeah, it was super fast, yes. Yeah, I mean, they I think they said to the diplomats, you need to GTFO in the next 48 hours. And then I think they suspended the airspace at 6 a.m. local today. And, you know, if you think about the size and reach of Qatar Airways network and think about the geography and it's worth pulling up google maps if you're somewhere where you can do this and you're not driving pull up google maps and look at where qatar is in relation to the countries that paul just mentioned because they can't really go anywhere yeah they can only go north which is north Iran, Iran, basically. yeah yeah that's basically it uh, for those who are uh, not watching uh, google maps so united arab emirates where abu dhabi and uh, dubai are located are just east and if you go further east that's Muscat the airport of uh, today and thus Oman and on the south part is this big country called Saudi Arabia so yeah and they we've seen this morning the image of flight radar 24 and all the airplanes are basically going up (laughs) and one queue across Iran before they can go in the direction that that they want to go to get to their intended destination so this is going to cost that airline a lot of money and inconvenience a lot of people. And like Paul said, we're not going to get into the politics of this. It's, it's incredibly complicated. But I don't really think this is going to benefit anybody. It's just, it's just a shame. It's a real shame. So I can't figure out how they're going to fix this either, like what happens. So no, this I might be no the new idea. normal. So Al Baker, I mean, we're still waiting for his comments, but Al Baker is currently, or just landed, he was in Cancun for the IATA big trade that happens right now. And he reportedly took immediately a flight 
with uh, apparently a, a Boeing business jet, a private jet, uh, to go back to Doha to sort this one. But as you say, I mean, the airspace is blocked, the airspace is blocked. Do you think it will entail like a slightly higher price suddenly? Because if they have to reroute all their planes, maybe the fuel taxes will be higher. I don't yeah. know. This is just, and it's an inconvenience uh, for some of the travels that, you know, usually go south from Qatar. They will have to do a big turnaround. So that's also at a time. By the way, that could mean that suddenly their Auckland route is super longer, actually. <laughs> yeah. And if you but, think about, you know, their European routes, actually, that wouldn't be too bad. But Southern Africa, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's really limited them. So, you know, irrespective of the politics, as running an airline, it must have been a huge, huge headache. And we'll continue yeah. to be until they figure out how the heck they're going to resolve this. Probably there's also some kind of publicity around here because, you know, again, we have our opinions here, but we're not going to dwell upon them. But if you, if, even if you don't know about the politics of the region, the fact that you might have heard that there's an issue in Qatar might also prevent you to say, oh, should I fly Qatar Airways? Yeah. It might be also there something. Uh, actually, I was, uh, I'm, you know, we'll be flying from Rome to Manila probably uh, next month, and I'm still looking at various options to do that. Of course, Emirates is one. BA is surprisingly actually cheap. I would have to fly back to London, but it's, it works. Cathay is also has good deals. And Qatar Airways, of course, has also good deals. But now I'm actually thinking, what will happen in a month? Will there be more issues? And should I actually avoid Doha as my commuting airport? I don't know. I've had to ask myself similar questions about whether I can actually take these flights. And, and it's, not a, it's not a question of, is it slightly longer? It's, am I going to get stuck somewhere? Yeah, which exactly. Is, which, you know, if this escalates, it's a very real possibility. It, it escalated super fast. I yeah, mean, that's, uh, like, that's what I think worries a lot of people. Yeah, so for me, a month could be, a lot of things could be resolved, uh, though it doesn't look like it. No, but uh, at the same time, you could even get, you know, I don't want to get stuck in Doha. I mean, Doha, Doha is a nice place to get stuck at, but I have business to attend to. So uh, Another thing yeah. that I was thinking about when I saw that Flight Radar 24 picture on Twitter is, does Iran, and I don't know the answer to this question, does Iran have the capacity, air traffic control capacity to deal with this huge hmm. spike in in traffic over their airspace. I don't know. I'm sure that they do, but I'm, you know, it's probably worth uh, worth thinking about as well. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, well, we'll see. This will evolve. It just happened, literally. So uh, we probably will have to talk about next time. I mean, I hope, although it's a very serious matter and not a matter that uh, should be poking fun at, I still hope that Al Baker will have an entertaining comment about this entire There's situation. There is no question that he will come out with some gold. <laughs> Actually, uh, since we're on the topic of uh, something type of restrictions. And since I just mentioned IATA, during that same conference in Cancun, Mexico, IATA obviously had a stance against all types of laptop bans and travel bans. They also issued a press release about it, obviously, because airlines do not want to have to bother with that kind of stuff. We didn't mention it in the last episode, but there was at some point a very serious rumor. And I say serious because um, it was Reuters, it was Bloomberg and other very serious outlets 
had said that the EU laptop ban would actually happen. So the US would prevent every single flight coming from the EU to the US uh, to carry anything but a smartphone uh, in the cabin. There was an emergency meeting between uh, EU officials and Americans to basically kind of postpone that. But the official stance of the US is they're still reviewing the situation and it might still happen. Well, I hope not, but... I do too. I really hope it doesn't happen. A lot of the big unions, both for a flight deck crew and cabin crew, have pushed back very vocally on this, saying that it it's not a safety thing. It's it's a terrible idea. So I think that type of pressure, plus some lobbying, plus you know the the general EU community for once broadly agreeing on something, uh, I think <laughs> might have put this issue to bed temporarily. But gosh, with the current U.S. administration, every day is a new surprise. So it's uh, who knows. Yeah, and who knows, even here in the UK, we just uh, had uh, the minute of silence for the latest attacks in in, in London, uh, again, June 6th at 11 a.m. it was, and it's actually 11.20 a.m. when we are recording. Uh, it could even happen here in the UK. We never know what new kind of measures, because, you know, Theresa May said enough is enough. Nothing to do about the air travel situation, but who knows, Yeah, right? Uh, we, that's the, the thing, UK... and I think that that's the, the threat here, is that nobody knows what's going to happen. It might be even worth mentioning at this point that yesterday or the day before yesterday, Donald Trump suggested that all of America's air traffic control infrastructure be privatized. Oh, yeah. Which, which is, you know, uh, caused a lot of people to go, wow. I mean, there is no denying that that infrastructure needs updating. But a lot of the unions, the uh, Experimental Aircraft Association, the EAA, have come out vehemently against that, uh, saying that uh, it, air traffic control should never be for profit. That said, Canada's is... Some of the UK's is, some of Europe's is. Uh, so I don't know the answer to that question. But I guess my point is that we have had surprise after surprise after surprise in the broader aviation world over the last week. Makes our show a lot more easy to do. <laughs> There's a lot more to talk about than there even usually is. But who knows what, what tomorrow is going to bring. Hopefully some good news for a little while. Yeah, well, we hope that, right? And by the way, guys, see, we're recording not even a week after our last episode, though, uh, by the time you listen to this, almost two weeks will have lapsed because I want to give it a little bit of a breathing space to the last episode. And also because I'm flying tomorrow morning, again, 6.30 a.m., to Sofia from London, and I won't have time to actually probably edit this one until the weekend. Um, since we're talking about what is uh, allowed and not in the flight, I had a discussion uh, with a friend of mine, maybe you know him, Raf Kouan is the head of IoT for Startup Bootcamp. Based in London, he's been at Apple for a very long time, and he, he just traveled with TAP uh, to Lisbon for a conference. And uh, first of all, TAP apparently only allows the carry-ons up to eight kilos, so he had to put his carry-on in the hold. But the thing is, he had wow. left his uh, wireless over-the-ear earphones cable in the hold, and as soon as he put these earphones on in the flight... They told him, no, 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 no wireless headphones. You're not allowed to have Bluetooth on, which happened to me. You remember I also told you that on, oh, uh, yeah. on a message. I was on a Lufthansa flight uh, these past months. I've taken so many, so I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> and I had, I had my Sony's and same. Uh, I was simply, I think, watching an episode of Family Guy. And she comes to me saying, no, 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 no Bluetooth. So thank God I had the cable and I just cabled it and I was able to continue. But strangely, it's the first time somebody has said any thing to me and I've had wireless headphones so maybe they just didn't pay attention didn't see it did, did it have it happen to you I don't have the Bluetooth headphones I've got the wired oh. version of the of the Bose so that okay 
But uh, you know what? Greg Barnes, who does Tache with me, yeah. has the same headphones that, uh, or the, the wireless versions of the Bose. So I'll ask him next time I, I talk to him if that's ever happened to him. Interestingly, so as soon as she told me that, that Lufthansa flight, it was a 320, I went and I looked at the leaflet, both, you know, the safety leaflet and the magazine, and to say, is there anything said about this? It was nothing. On an, a flight that I took next, which was with Swiss, uh, they have a very nice uh, picture of what is allowed. It is, it's really pictographic. It really tells you, you know, what you're supposed to do when you're taxiing, when you're taking off, landing, etc., etc. And the Bluetooth logo, which is quite well known, uh, was only authorized on 777s and 340s. And they say all the other aircraft, you shouldn't have Bluetooth. So at least that was clear. For Lufthansa, it's not. And for many other airlines, it's not. The thing is, my friend, again on TAP, and it's nothing against TAP, the flight attendant told him, yeah, it's a new e-regulation and i'm like this is a load of horse shit sorry yeah, to use yeah, that yeah. term yeah and i went to look i went to look at the es uh, website so they are the body of the european union that actually does this kind of stuff you know all the recommendations and regulations about what you're supposed to do even for stuff that is not for consumers for passengers sorry bluetooth and wireless have been allowed in flight since 2014 september 2014 and uh the only caveat here is they say well of course, aircraft have to be tested, which they have by the manufacturer. So it all boils down to an airline's own policy. If the airline decides they don't want to allow Bluetooth, that's on their own, but that's nothing to do with a new EU policy. And probably some airlines just don't want to bother with it and just forbid everyone to have Bluetooth. And that's that's fine, as long as you are consistent in how you A, enforce it, and B, communicate it. Yes, exactly. That was my point. You're right. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, airlines can say, whatever policies they want but they have to i think i would suggest that they need to be very consistent in, in in that and if she said to you or your or your friend it's company policy yeah, not to have go. bluetooth then you know fair yeah. fine yeah. fine 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. but to suggest it's something that it's not just because you know there's it's no a cop out. what's that yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah you say it's uh it's your parents told you so right yeah. it's like uh, the eu said yeah right of course the eu said or you know the boeing said right it's uh and again, you know, I can get it. I'm I'm not one of these passengers who get like all outraged when an airline tells me I have to do something that others. I remember, for instance, uh, airlines in domestic Japan would never allow any kind of headphones uh, during all uh, landing and and uh, takeoff. And I was like, never like going, oh, this is a scandal and this is not okay. It's fine. I mean, if the airline policy is that. Well, I can either switch airlines or just, you know, comply. I mean, yeah. it's not completely crazy to ask for people to remove uh, headphones for these uh, critical period of flights. No, neither do I. By the way, I, th I think you also have uh, ordered, but you haven't received them, the AirPods from Apple, I have, right? yeah. They've got such a huge uh, uh, delay. Well, not delay. There's a lead time in, in shipping that uh, I should get them, well, not till July because I've, I've ordered them in California. But you have a pair, right? Yeah, yeah. So a friend of mine offered them to me. Thank you, Jeremiah, uh, as a gift for uh, something we did t together, uh, work-related. And uh, I was not convinced. This is why I never actually ordered them. And wow, they are really, really cool. So we're really? not here to do like uh, we're not here to do like headphones reviews. The only the only thing I will, of course, use them a little bit more. I still use my Sony because for me these are my get-go, you know, headphones when I travel. But I tried on a flight lately to put just the AirPods, so they're not noise canceling. They're not wired, by the way, so you cannot have a wire in case somebody asks you. But I mean, they're very you know you don't see them very much because they're obviously very uh, very small. Yeah. And actually, they work well. They actually dampened the sound the surrounding sound quite well so it's 
a, I wouldn't say it's a must-have option for flying because still it's not noise cancelling. But honestly, right. they they do work well. So I'm yeah, excited to them. get mine. I really am. I think I'll use them mostly for for running. But I'm excited to get them. They are really, really cool. It's like magic when they pair automatically. I know it's a little thing, right? It is, it's kind of it is a little thing. I think that's what makes it a great product. By the way, theoretically, it's not exactly Bluetooth. So you could argue with a flight attendant, this is not Bluetooth. This is a proprietary wireless signal by Apple. That's <laughs> anyway. hilarious. Uh, since we're on Apple, did you watch a keynote yesterday? I did. Well, I was I was dipping in and out of it. There was a piece of news that I was waiting for, which was the refreshed MacBook Pros. Haha, <laughs> same here. But my kids were watching it with me. We had it on in the TV while we were cooking dinner and stuff. And my my eldest son, who's six, saw the the VR Star Wars demo that the folks oh from Epic God. Games and Industrial Light and Magic did. And he's like, can we get one of those? <laughs> no, no, we oh, that would be a great IFE, by the way. Having that, you know, forget if you have like a very short leg room and uh, a flight that sucks, you'll completely gone in another world. I mean, why not? Uh, the one piece of airline airport news that is in there, Apple Maps, which I don't use a lot, but I no, use sometimes. But Apple Maps has introduced, uh, I mean, for OS... 11 so it's not there yet it will be the beta is out and i think it comes out in september probably with a new iphone uh they've uh introduced airport maps and they have quite a lot actually uh, i have the list in front of me i'm not going to go through all them of course the two airports in london gatwick and ethro are in there so you have like you know where is the atm machine floor by floor so it's pretty cool right they have uh, indianapolis houston detroit doha since we talked about qatar dubai geneva hong kong is there as well it's New York, very cool uh, JFK and LaGuardia are there, plus Newark, uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm not going to go. Berlin, both uh, Tegel and Schoenfeld are there as well. Uh, so, yeah, quite a few airports, uh, and they say they will expand that. But, I mean, this, you know what? When it's released, when I can try it, I will see if the airport maps work well, because this could be really cool. And it, it maps again <laughs> to the conversation <laughs> you had after your Hack Horizon trip, where there's a lot of... Uh, energy being put into to mapping airport terminals yep. because there is a gap there, isn't there? Because you you, know, you want to find a you know is there is there better is there food before or after security? Correct. You don't want to go ah uh, you know there's there's only a few things here before security. I'll gamble and go through and there's the vending machine. Hong Kong Airport <laughs> Terminal Two, great example. Uh, and if you have yeah. a map that yeah. details that, I think this is, it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah, and also sometimes it's about mostly airports that we don't know. So since well, yeah, I usually, exactly. I, I rarely go to the counter to check in because I do mostly mobile check in with most airports now allow it. And for instance, where is the lounge? You know, uh, I don't have to either. Usually I Google it. Uh, where is the freaking lounge of whatever? Which one am I authorized? Because sometimes the airline doesn't tell you very well when you actually uh, book your ticket or simply when you arrive at a country and you need, because we still need cash sometimes, where is the nearest ATM machine? And sometimes I have to walk for like five hours. Is there an ATM machine after the belt or there's nothing? I mean, it sounds silly, but it's practical. It absolutely so is. I will really do that. Since we're that, so Gatwick has announced the 2000 beacon. Uh, they're live. Uh, as I told you, Ether is about to enter that. And we had a, a comment by our friend Kendall from Berlin. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. She told us that, hey, guys, remember that also these beacons can be used for marketing purposes? Yes, she's right. She's uh, absolutely it's, right. There, it, it's not, I mean, the it's amount not of only data, mapping, right? <laughs> no, God, no. No, I mean, and that's a really good point. There, there are some privacy implications here. And I think you mentioned, again, in the, in the episode post-Hack Horizons, that the ones in China, I think, was it Shanghai? or Yeah, Airport? Shanghai. Were perhaps a little bit more overzealous with the data that they collected, but that's a that's a really good point because there are some big privacy implications here. 
the discussions I had with the Hong Kong airport and, and Ethro, uh, Hong Kong has 12,000 beacons, I think. Uh, this is really massive. They told me that they are very conscious of the fact that if you were to get on the Hong Kong airport app, because right now, you know, you still to have some type of activation, you need to have the app that links to these beacons and get you some information back. It's not just your phone. It will happen, but not yet. It will phone that which just reacts automatically. The thing is, they're very conscious of the fact that, well, if you were to get like a coupon every 30 seconds, you would deinstall the app Absolutely. super quickly. So they know that, of course, they are privacy implication, but there's also a whole customer experience uh, implications. They cannot just blast you stuff at all times, yeah. and uh, which is irrelevant. I mean, which goes back to Kendall's point to make it relevant. They might have a profile on you, know who you are, and thus give, hey, do you want to buy the latest Sony or Bose, you know, headphones, for instance, right? And, okay. and, and not the latest Gucci bag or whatever. So, yeah, they are privacy implications. So uh, thank you, Kendall, because we should have mentioned it was sometimes overly, like, uh, geeky and we forgot to mention the kind of stuff. Talking about privacy implications, you see the news, it's not new, but it was like... A, Maybe like two months ago, the uh, so I just mentioned that I'm using Sony. I seem to be a very rare breed because still everybody uses Bose, but the wireless Bose uh, over the here were in a bit of a scandal because uh, we learned that the company was actually actively listening to what you were doing with the headphones. They were listening to the type of music, where you were stopping, to the podcast, to what really? kind of activity. Yeah, so that's data from you, and <laughs> that's talking no about privacy. <laughs> So I don't know if they corrected it. I don't know. I know that there was like the, you know, PR releases and they said they were looking into it, but they were actively listening to all your behavior where the headphones. Bad. Yeah, that's crazy, right? That's so, so about, bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying here you shouldn't buy Bose headphones. That's not. But know that everything seems tracked. You remember, by the way, the other day, Alex, I think we were talking about your flight was delayed or canceled. Maybe your flight had early. Yeah, you're thinking it was your flight had early, which we mentioned in the last episode. And as soon as we were using Facebook Messenger, and as soon as I went back to Facebook, ad ads for flight delay compensation. I was that's, like, Mike. Yeah, that's just gross. That's a creepy part, you know, the whole word triggered. And I'm pretty sure, though I cannot prove it, that Facebook and others also listen to the microphone on your phone. And uh, yeah, there's been on. a lot of, uh, of thoughts about that. I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. But I, we have an Amazon Echo, and I'm told that that listens oh. to you constantly. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so be careful about what you're saying. Yeah. Well, though, we only talk about airplanes and aircrafts and airports, so maybe you're just going to get a, a 380 head of state delivered to your door That'd for free. That'd be good. I am part of the head of state market now. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, yeah, since we had talked, I want to also give a shout-out to Sunil at GlueCode on Twitter uh, because he's been providing me with some information about the experience of uh, security uh, he was traveling from San Francisco, where I think he, he resides, to Dubai uh, and back with uh, with Emirates. He said that, uh, strangely for him, in uh, San Francisco, the only type of security that was was sniffing dogs, and that's about it. But then when he went back from Dubai to San Francisco, obviously they had the you know the laptop ban in place, and he told me that he he was impressed by how carefully the crew and the staff was you know putting your uh, devices in bubble wrapping and how careful they were, like they were really 
really super conscious about it. And he was really pleased with the experience. I mean, it's of course, it's an experience not having your devices with you, as we said, is a bit uncomfortable, but he said they took a, they went to great length to make that comfortable. So that's I great. Guess hats off to Emirates. Yeah, absolutely. That's nice to know that they're doing it, but I mean, it's, it's, it still doesn't take away from the fact that it's kind of silly that they do have to. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. we'll see. We'll see. And again, I'm, I'm always one to uh, assume that there's credible intelligence out there, but um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how this plays out. Since we're in the US, United, longest flight they ever do. Yeah. Again, another. LA, Singapore. Yeah, that's pretty long, right? They already had San Francisco, Singapore, which was already pretty long, but they're introducing LA, Singapore. And I think uh, Singapore Airlines is reacting by d- doubling up or something, obviously. But uh, Yeah, because it's not, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Singapore Airlines have been doing this on and off for, for years and years and years. It's the route they use the, uh, the A340 500 on. I've done LA, Hong Kong, and that was mind-numbingly dull. So I can't imagine what being on United Airlines for, what, 17 hours? Yeah, 17, 18 hours. They are doing, I think uh, Singapore will actually reintroduce the Newark route, but they haven't received the the proper aircraft yet. They used to do it with uh, the 340, and they want to do it with... uh, The 350-1000? So that would be, again, like a 20-hour flight or something, (sighs) my God. Rather on uh, on Singapore than United. (laughs) Well, uh, by the way, I think the... The CEO of United said, uh, and I think rightfully so, let's give him that, said that, guys, you need to get used to tight seating. Uh, and the whole article, I think it was in Skift, it was an interview, was saying that, well, you know what? At the end of the day, people, every time an airline tried to, for long haul at least, try to push you know, a little bit the customer experience, that's his take. I'm not here to say yeah. that's mine. Uh, well, the results weren't there. I mean, people were not buying more seats and the shareholders were not happier. Whenever they cram more people in flight and they reduce the price of the flight accordingly, well, more people buy, load factors are better, and shareholders are happy. And, well, maybe it's a sad reality of this world. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not going to get used to cramp seats. Thank you very much. <laughs> Something's got to change. Our friend Husband in Tow sent us the review. I mean, it's not his, but he found the first review of Level, this new company. Did you read the review? I did read the review. It was fascinating. And I was wondering how long it would take for someone to post a trip report because they only just started flying this month. Uh, yeah. And yeah, he don't remember who wrote it, but it was a it was well written. It was comprehensive. It was interesting. It was entertaining. And I think it, I don't know what you thought, but for me, it was pretty much what I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Which was, actually... you know, brand new airplane. It's Iberia, essentially. Lily. <laughs> and uh, this was a Barcelona, LA flight. And, you know, the nice big IFE, which is a bonus. He was in premium economy, wasn't he? Not was he regular sure. Economy? No, no, oh, yes, regular, he was in this regular like, weird uh, cabin of maybe five rows of seats yes, in yes, between economy, economy, the rest of the economy cabin, and premium economy. Correct. And he said that the seat pitch was tight. Yeah, if there's a picture of him, he's, he's not our height, and he's like already very close to the yeah. seat in front of him. Uh, I wouldn't really appreciate that. Apparently, the, according to what I read, I haven't really looked into it, but there are a few bulkhead seats 
that have a lot of leg room because there's no wall to divide uh, the cabins. So apparently this one would be good, right? So I and I don't know if they make those more expensive, like Probably. for instance uh, EasyJet does, or of course the emergency exit, same thing. So uh, the IFE is pretty cool. I mean, I there's no like moving it. maps. There's no moving, no moving maps. Map. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, how strange. Come? There's a little kind of progress bar along the bottom, but there's no there's no moving map, and I think that would drive me crazy on a long haul flight. <laughs> yeah, me too. But like, the rest of the IFE, like. It looked really good, and you can order your food from it. The food was unbelievably expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't look like it was anywhere near worth it. But the way that you paid for it was cool. Yeah. It connected yeah. to your uh, phone, and you could pay with a card. That was really clever. Really, yeah, really you clever. Can, yeah, can, I think you can pair your phone, I guess it's Wi-Fi, with yeah. your seat, and then you can pay with whatever card you have on your phone or something. I mean, yeah. it, it's clever. And I think that's the dire- direction a lot of other airlines will go as yes. long as you keep IFE. It's, uh, it's clever. For the rest, you know, it looked like an okay light. The thing I would say, though, and we had a discussion, the two of us, before recording, is that... Will that be enough to counter someone like Norwegian? I don't think so. Norwegian, I think, have this down to an art. And they've, they, I haven't actually flown on Norwegian long haul, but I know you have, our friend Greg Annandale has, my mother has. Everybody raves about it, even in the cheap seats, not just in premium economy, that mm-hmm. it is, it is comfortable. Uh, the IFE is good. The food is, you know, it, it's expensive, but when you do order it, it is, it is good. So I don't think it's a bad thing for Norwegian to have competition in that market. But it seems like something has to give. Is it lower prices than Norwegian? Is it a better product? Doesn't look like it's a better product, but the prices are similar from what I can tell. But it's yeah, early days. It's early yeah, days. Yeah, it's early days. They only have, what, four planes for the moment or yeah, something? Yeah, and uh, reasonably limited destinations. But, you know, you can always find a reasonable fare to the West Coast. There's so much capacity. But that's they're true. doing Tokyo. Yep. And that's not easy to find a good fare to. So I will, I will be interested to see what their fares are like to, to Tokyo and Asia when they continue their expansion. The thing that was a bit uh, meh is that they tried to do, that's in the review again, they tried to do, because it was the first flight, so they tried to do some kind of entertainment at the gate. <laughs> that was oh not really... Oh my gosh, it was so cringy. <laughs> they did this like flash mob, but it was only four people. <laughs> And it just looked super cringy. It looks like four people randomly started dancing in the middle of the gate and people were like, what the hell is going on? Right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like- <laughs> you don't need to do that. You just need to provide a great product, give someone a little gift and get them going. It's a yeah. long flight, you know. Plus, boarding was apparently not that great. It was from Barcelona. Uh, they were like, of course, people who hadn't had their passport checked and whatever. So again, maybe teething problems, but then again, if it's Iberia, they should know better. But I mean, we'll see. Uh, because, you know, I just did, you know, the I just went to Madrid. I announced that in the last episode. Uh, like it was a back and forth. I went with a BA. Uh, it was a 777, a commuter flight. It was surprisingly full, actually. And even the J class, uh, business class, was surprisingly full. I was like, okay. Are there so many people flying to Madrid in the first plane in the morning? And apparently there is. So really? I don't know if it's a repositioning flight, as in are they using the, the 777 to go from Madrid to somewhere, or if it's actually a commuter flight, but it was pretty pretty intense. You know what nice I learned, experience? actually, which is which might help answer this question. When I took the Finnair A350 up to Helsinki, I assumed, because the plane was so new, that it was due to uh, you know a familiarization flight, yep. which they often do. It's not. It's a regular thing because of the cargo capacity of the airplane oh, between London see? and Helsinki. So even though the flight, my flight wasn't 
particularly full the cargo bay would have been and that will that 350 will stay on that on that route because of the additional cargo capacity oh see so that could explain a lot of these early flights also not only being commuter slide but commuting for cargo basically. exactly that could actually make a lot of sense yeah it does actually so well it was a nice flight the only thing uh i will say is that ba is a bit stingy they turned off the ife <laughs> <laughs> so there was no way to see anything. I say that because on the way back with Iberia, it was a 340. They had the IFE on and I was able to see a movie. So I don't know if somebody's not paying the rights or if it's just a policy. But well, that's I mean, what like, we discovered on. with with the XBMI A321s is that they didn't have the rights to broadcast yep. some of the content. But gee, a little cheap. Yeah, Iberia does it, you know, and I had like the all entire basically Iberia IFE that I would have had in a long haul flight. So I don't think that IAG would make such a differentiation to pay the rights for one airline and not for the other. I don't know. Anyway, it was uh, it was nice to have a, a, a triple seven in the morning. Uh, I've done it uh, before the triple seven, so yeah, it was a nice experience. <laughs> the way back though, that was not as good as an experience because again, you know, I don't I don't get it. So Madrid has this massive T four terminal four, which is divided that- in two. Pieces pieces one is like you know, east germany and the other is west germany or something <laughs> because they're like separated and you have like this 20 minute train in the middle or something and they have such a big terminal which is pretty new and still they cannot manage to do a proper boarding and it was a real mess it was the queues because they put the, the gates some of the gates so close to duty-free in restaurants because I guess they wanted to have as much amenities as possible that there's no way after you're queuing. So people were shouting. It was just a mess. I mean, I'm like, it's not a huge deal because I'm okay. It was just a two-hour flight. But sometimes, you know, it kind of stresses you out when you can just like, I I just want to board my flight. Yeah, (laughs) that's bad. And it's not hard to do. You put like little cords or something and little signs and tell people, you know, people just didn't know where to go. It was not like there was, it was not properly, we were not properly told which line was what and where we should, I mean, anyway. And the flight was good, uh, 340, I already mentioned that, but I, I wanted to go back because we mentioned that together when we, when I was flying is that there's, uh, the seat is really, I don't get it. There's no storage in that seat. This like, is. This is hilarious because... I send you all the pictures. You were right? sending this to me real time, trying to figure out like where you could put your stuff and your strategy for making sure that you had your uh, devices and cords available to you. But you were sending me the pictures and it was so funny because you would say, oh, well, look, that that's clearly a pocket where you could put a magazine or an I- iPad or something. And then you look into this the hole or whatever where you would put the thing and it's blocked off. <laughs> And then it was like that circular one. It's like that's – it was so badly designed. Yeah, that circular one is actually makes no sense because I tried putting a bottle, but it's not – Didn't look deep enough. First of all, it's – it's angled and it's not deep enough. So it, it doesn't serve any purpose. And then there was, you know, there's a little storage on under the, the armrest. The thing is that what I've realized in when you try to go on a more life flat position, the armrest goes down. So basically crushes everything you might oh, you're have extended into. <laughs> so the so only sto- So you have such a big seat and the only storage is to hide stuff because you're literally hiding stuff under the Ottomans, so under where you put your, your, your feet. It's not storage, but you say, you know what? The flight attendants won't see if I just cram stuff in there. So I put my iPad in there and I put the, the magazines because the magazines have no freaking place to be put on. And I put like my headphones, everything in there. So like when they looked, oh, no, I have nothing that could fly around. But it's, uh, I mean, again, first world problems, like we said in a previous episode. But I mean. Well, no, I mean, this is an airline podcast and we're talking about passenger experience. And that's just. Yeah, I don't, you know. Unbelievable. And you know, I, 
I've seen that seat not experienced, but I've seen that seat in other airlines. When I'm looking again to go to Manila and I have a later flight to Bangkok, and a few airlines have a similar seat, I think, and I'm not sure, but Asiana has the same seat, at least some of their flights. And now that I've experienced this one, I'm saying, we'll actually try that seat for a long flight. You know, like when you have a long flight where you want a few more bits and pieces out of your hand luggage. The other thing that I, uh, and we'll go into a few little debates now before we go to more serious stuff. The other thing that <laughs> we had debates on when I was doing this flight is first, I hate those airlines who cut the IFE 30 minutes before the end of the flight. That seems, it's, yeah, it seems like a little bit of an anachronism because most people do gate to gate now. This one, they cut the IFE, which, okay, fine. But then we got in a holding pattern to land to London. So basically for 45 minutes, there was no IFE. And I'm like, guys, why would you do that? What was I on mean, the screen? Anything? Yeah, just uh, there was a video because, yeah, again, these promotions. That's the other thing. Sometimes airlines that over-promote themselves, their products or whatever. I'm like, guys, I know. I mean, of course, we're frequent flyers. But sometimes I'm like, please, yeah. would you stop with <laughs> – I mean, it's not as bad as – Sometimes airlines in the U.S. would like to talk about credit cards for like 25 minutes, yeah. but it's still, I'm like, for me, the ultimate luxury is a bit of silence. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's not have, I'm okay with, obviously, you know, the captain talking and, you know, the usual very nice interactions, but there's some stuff that is truly useless. And uh, so that's, uh, anyway, that's just a, a rant because I, of course, l- missed the end of my movie, which I'll watch which I'll probably watch in the next flight. So infuriating. I really love, I really love that Logan. It was really cool. Oh, too. cool. I was not, expect, not expecting that. So now the other, the other debates, a few fun debates. Do you like uh, aircraft that lack air vents? No, that drives me crazy. And the newer planes, it seems to, they've all gone. There's no yeah. individual air vents anymore. So it seems to me that Airbus takes away air vents faster than Boeing because on the uh, Dreamliner, I had air vents but not on newer Airbuses. And this one is not a newer one because it's a 340. I'm wondering, do you think it's an, it's an airline decision? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh-huh. I also don't understand the rationale either. I'm sure there's a very, very good reason for it. I just can't figure out what it might be. Yeah, I hate it because, you know, I, I was telling you the example. In Japan, they tend to heat the plane slightly at a higher temperature, than Europe, for instance, and I like to be like I sleep like even if it's not in a plane, I like to sleep in a kind of cooler kind of room. I hate when it's very hot, and having no air vent, I think drives me crazy because I have no control of my environment around me. So, yeah. Second uh, little debate. Um, this is for airports, and I also thought about that in Madrid. Do you prefer flight boards? You know where all the flights are announced. We, we have. One line per flight, including court chair, you know, going around? Or do you prefer, like, each line for each court chair, even though it's the same flight? I like a line per code chair, and I'll tell you why. Because if you glance at the FIDs and you all of a sudden see the code chair flight number and not yours, I can see people panicking. Yeah. But if you've got three or four, and I know it's not exactly efficient use of space, but if you've got three or four lines for essentially what is the same flight, then you never don't see, that that doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. (laughs) You never don't see the the flight. It's, It's always there. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I prefer information density, but I will give it to you. I mean, it probably depends when you have these massive, you know, multiple LCD screens and you have everything at the same time. I'm okay to have a few lines where there's one single screen and you have to rotate 
And then you're okay, like, at, yeah. you know, it's, it's 11 p.m. and your flight is at like at 6 p.m. You're like, oh gosh, I will have to wait 25 minutes until it goes back to 6 p.m. Okay, then yeah, I, that, I'd that rather, I but yeah. Anyway, it's interesting that airports have chosen different approaches to that user experience. Um, guys, if you have a different opinions, if you've seen a better way to actually display flights, let us know because it's a very interesting. Another little debate. Have you ever eaten, because you, you talked about in your second episode of Mastication Nation about burgers, and I love that episode. Have you e ever eaten a burger in a flight? I I was racking my brain about this. I don't think that I have. Ha! I don't think so. Never something that is even close to a burger battle because of the definition of burgers. Guys, listen to the episode, subscribe to Mastication Nation, and agree or not with Alex. We pretty much agree eye to eye there, but pretty much. There's a little bit of differences. I mean, some people would argue that even having two pieces of bread and some meat in the middle is kind of a burger. Not even that. Yeah, I don't think I ever have. I mean, of course, Air Corio, the North Korean flag oh, carrier, yeah. <laughs> are famous for their burger, which is just hilarious to me on so many levels. But I've never, you know, maybe I have, maybe it was so diabolical that I've repressed the memory, but I can't, I can't, uh, oh, yes, I have. I'm being idiotic. Of course I have. Because Virgin Atlantic do it, they do little sliders. Oh, uh, see? Yeah, and so do uh, so do British Airways in, in, in business class. So oh, yes, no I have. No way, I've never tried that. Yeah, okay. yeah, they really? do these, these, these sliders, especially on, on West Coast routes. It's not bad, but it's not great. So yes, I have. I don't know why I had that, that brain fart, but yes, I have on both of those I, carriers. I have also a few times, I mean... Um... I remember my probably my best memory of a burger in a flight was uh, Japan Airlines. I think it was only domestic, and it was like a, quite a long time ago because we're talking, I think, when I was living there, or maybe just after, so maybe early 2011, 2012, I don't remember. Uh, they had Moss Burger. Moss Burger oh, is a chain yeah, in Japan. Oh, we yeah, we went to that in Ishigaki. Yeah, so they have they had that for a while in their flights and was able... It, it was okay. I mean, you know, it's not like Betsy. I don't think these burgers were engineered to be right. eaten at uh, 35,000 feet, but it was good. I have also remember, I think, American Airlines had burgers back in the day. I don't know if they still have them. I haven't flown them for a long time. I remember clearly that Continental had burgers as well, an Angus burger even. But Continental, of course, now is gone, and I'm not sure that United has actually taken up the tradition. And I've read, and I sadly I have not done it, that WestJet, at a time, I don't know if it's still going on, had McDonald's on board. Really? Yeah. That would be cool. I know some airlines, like you said, have done KFC and uh, other fast food uh the word I'm looking for that they you know they've served they've served different types of fast food but uh, I didn't know anyone ever did McDonald's that must have been uh, I think that uh, there's also an Australian carrier Air Tiger they're quite famous for their burgers so if you like burgers apparently that's the one to go for oh. so guys if you've ever taken this one or any other and you've Enjoyed and actually enjoyed, not just because it was the only food available, guys. Right? It's not. We're not talking about reheating stuff that you, they give you on EasyJet. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're talking about proper, tasteful burger. If you ever had one, I'm re very curious because that would actually drive me to try the airline. I mean, maybe Tiger Air is a bit far for me to try, but I would really love to try a good burger. And of course, Air Corio. Just to do it once. I, I want to do it one day. <laughs> of course, apparently it's super stale and disgusting. And I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, although, oh yeah, the closest you can go for as well, if you fly 
Qantas and also Emirates because Emirates has some Qantas menu options. It's the it's it's not a slider. It's it's two pieces of bread with a steak in the middle, and it's made by some chef that I don't remember the name of uh, for Qantas. And obviously, when I flew them, I tried that because I really wanted to try. It's pretty good. It's not a burger technically, but that's very good option. So if you guys ever fly Emirates and you have that as an option in the menu, try it as a snack. It's really really good. Oh, I'll have to try that. You should. Next time you go to Dubai, you should. So burger time might be close to us because it's now noon. We're still recording. <laughs> and <laughs> here this morning was uh, raining like uh, the end of the world out of rain in, in London. Uh, that was one of the possible excuses for that big BA outage. We talked about it last time. You know, there was a power surge due to some lightning or whatever, but apparently it was not. I'm just going to quote before we get into that debate what uh, Walsh, the yeah, chairman the and CEO conference. of, of, of uh, IAG said, it's uh, very clear to me that you can make a mistake in disconnecting the power. It's difficult for me to understand how to make a mistake in reconnecting the power. So, that's what happened. A guy, yeah. I mean, the immediate, let's use some air travel lingo when there's a crash. You know, the immediate cause was someone simply disconnecting the power and reconnecting the power. Yeah, they've, they've identified this, this single person who was responsible for <laughs> Poor guy. disconnecting the power in a way that was, what's the, what's the, the phrase, the euphemism that they would use, non-ideal or something <laughs> like that. And then realize what they've done and i guess there's a protocol for bringing these things back up in a certain order that was ignored and now this disaster happened which again seems if one person can do that and bring the whole airline to its knees something is still not right of course a mistake has been done but as you say it shouldn't cascade it like that he, i think he even it was not the power he even disconnected the unerrantable power uh yeah, service why would that, you do that, that? I don't know. Maybe he had he had to do some kind of update, or I don't know. Maybe he just did a mistake. I don't know. He just he wanted to charge his phone and pulled out the, <laughs> the, the, the wrong plug or something, like we do in airports. You know, we just you know unplug whatever is available when there's nothing else. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how that can lead to suddenly having everything down? I mean, I, I know BA does have at least two IT centers in the UK. They're separated. They're not in the same location. So how can one Suddenly cascade and crush the other. I, I just don't get it. No, neither do I. Neither do I. There's something inherently wrong with that architecture when there's a single point of vulnerability. That's the whole point of having these redundant systems and these, even these redundant physical locations. Like you said, they're in different different places. So uh, there there hasn't been a really good ownership of this problem by the execs at BA or IAG. There's been a lot think, of finger uh, pointing and blaming, yeah. but no ownership and no kind of hands up saying, yeah, we really screwed up here. I think Walsh is closer to that. He's, he's, he's admitting there's been unacceptable problems. They're now conducting an independent investigation into it to see what actually happened. We still don't know. Uh, Alex Cruz has said, no, I'm not going to resign. Um, I'm not saying he should. I mean, we had a discussion last time. It's always a big question mark. Is it the one person? But I mean, again, that one person is also the symbol for the rest. So it's really a hard one. But uh, you are in favor of, of bringing uh, the a CEO for um, oh Carolyn Easy McCall Jeff. from EasyJet. Yeah. yeah, I think she would be top drawer. She probably doesn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's got a great job and she's doing a great job. So you know, I can understand if she wasn't wasn't interested. And there's no suggestion anywhere that 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 conversation is uh, even remotely plausible or feasible. 
No, of course not. It was just us uh, rambling about. Speculating, yeah. Yeah, speculating. So, yeah. So, um, there was a few other glitches when you were trying to ask for compensation for the website for a long time was not fully uh, active. Now it's actually back on track. You have still have a link at the, on the top of the webpage to yeah. make you make it easy for you to get compensation if you were uh, having any issues during the three days and more, obviously, of that incident. And <laughs> they were called out because uh, anytime you were trying to ask for compensation, the first thing you would say on the UI of the website is say, you should try with your travel insurance first. So they're basically like giving the responsibility to someone else. And the insurance companies had to actually go on the media and say, this is not acceptable, and then be a change the way this procedure was on the website. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not, uh, but the big one, the one that uh, gets you a bit furious, and I'm so very lucky, is that, uh, so I've received an email, uh, I think it was two, three days ago, you know, apologizing for the mistakes and the suffering and blah, blah, blah. I'll just remind people that, yes, I was flying on Monday, but no, I was beside a 10 minutes delay. I had no issue going to Edinburgh at all. But since I was during the three-day period of Saturday to Monday, this is what I was able to infer from all my friends, you know, getting or not getting this, they will extend all the people who flew through these three days uh, two years for free of their current status. So for me, it means that, and I just got to gold not a long time ago, I have two years of free gold, and you don't. Yeah, which is BS. <laughs> and here's why. I mean, on a personal level, I was delayed uh, 36 hours. I wasn't delayed for 36 hours. I was delayed for four hours, 36 hours before this all happened, and I was I think I mentioned this in the previous show, I was barked at rather rudely by the yep. flight attendant. And I'm flying to California next week, and they're going on strike for four days yep. for the entire time that I'm gone. Yet I get I get nothing uh, for my troubles. That's a selfish perspective. I think it's also a massive, massive strategic mistake for BA to do this. And here's why. You are extending for two years the status of those who are quantifiably your most loyal customers at a point when your product is the weakest it's been and under the most scrutiny it's been for decades. So you've basically given them two years to guilt-free explore the alternatives that are out yeah. there. So you can go and fly on whoever you want and still get lounge access and priority this and priority that and the, uh, the better mileage accrual and all that while you go and check out every other carrier out there that serves even anywhere close to the routes that BA do. So stupid on their part. <laughs> I'm not pulling but any if, punches. Yeah, I just think again, it's I, dumb. I, no, no, yeah, you're right. And again, I was lucky. I mean, I'm really like, again, you know, and it, the decision to go to Edinburgh was really last minute. So I was really lucky to get caught in this. The, the one point that you kind of entered that as well is that not even during that time, but there's been times because strikes, because other operational problems, people have had worse issues than being delayed for four hours or having their flight canceled and have to come back. I mean, BA has had issues with the IT systems for two years already. This one probably was the biggest one and the most, the one we talked the most about because people were stranded, etc. But there has been issues again and again and again in the past with their new IT system. Nobody got anything out of that. Uh, and you, probably people are saying, okay, I got 
you know, maybe my flight was canceled, I don't know, six months ago, and I got nothing. You know, I remember that when um, Lufthansa was on, going on strike, it was at the beginning of our recordings. We even got caught into that one of these strikes. We did, remember, yeah. Alex? <laughs> I got, because I was senator, and I don't know if it was extended to others, I got a 10,000 miles credit. It, it's Maybe it's nothing, but it was a gesture to say we apologize for the little strikes. Here's ten thousand. We didn't, you know, we didn't respect you as a customer for the past year or something. Here, there's nothing for most of the people that have traveled until now, unless maybe if you complain on an individual level. I don't know if they've done anything. And this time, at least for silver and gold, because I'm not sure bronze were extended. I haven't heard about people in bronze being extended. This is everything. Because like you said, the dynamic has changed. Before that email, I was already looking for a flight from Rome to Manila, as I told at the top of the show. And the best results currently I've got in terms of pricing is BA and Cathay Pacific. And now I'm like, okay, but I'm gold. And I don't need to chase that gold anymore. So I might actually want to try to retain gold on Emirates, which I haven't done for the past six months because I was putting all my eggs on one world. And actually, I might do it because the price is maybe like 200 quid difference. It's not massive. And I'm tracking the prices. And or I could say Star Alliance, which I still do for certain destinations in Europe. But I'm like, oh, maybe I should try Asiana to go to well, they, Manila. Exactly. Right. And then I'm um, so basically for two years, I get a get out of jail free card where I can do whatever I want. And then in two years, I can either decide to stay and continue re-accrue miles to maintain gold for that third year after my two years free or not. But that already changed my dynamic. I'm not saying that everybody thinks like us and you know, looks in 25 different options every time they fly. But you're right. It, will, it might lead to some people doing that. I think it will lead to a lot of people doing that because I think that those people that fly frequently are also going to be, for the most part, reasonably savvy uh, flight searchers, if you will. And there's already chatter about, great, I can go and see what all of these other products are like and not have to worry about re-upping gold again. I- I'm not going to say I'm unhappy because obviously I'm like, wow, yeah, no, I've no, got a two-year gold extension. But, but I think that's it's a very slap selfish. in the face to the, to the other people that have status as well. That have... hey, don't, you think, don't you think it's a little bit also, and I'm sorry, be desperate? Yeah. Like, I think we need to do absolutely something because we're our brand equity is going down the crapper and we have to do something to please our loyal customers. Um, it's uh, the situation at BA. I mean, they're still making money. The shareholders are still happy. Yeah. And I'm nothing against the shareholders. I keep repeating that, but guys, I get it. At the same time, you know, clearly something has to give. The whole thing is just, I think, from soup to nuts, been handled really, really badly. Every possible thing that they could have done, I just think, has been has been handled really badly. And I think I keep going back to this, but I just don't think the execs have stepped up. And and the kind of gross thing of saying go to your insurance company has is just bad. And they've had to change that because the press were all over it. I, I just it's disappointing. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm 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 still liking overall the experience. I will I will continue a little bit on that, and then we'll move on. By the way, it's almost already the end of the show. I always go super fast. We yeah. do a show every three days and still have topics to talk about. <laughs> no, guys, we're not going to do an episode every three days. We don't have the time. Uh, the I did put kind of you know a thank you tweet and a thank you Facebook update just to have. Oh, it's nice. I've gotten my thing renewed. Blah blah blah. The most comments I I got back on both platforms were. BA is the worst airline ever. Uh, uh, I want to challenge that, and I'm sure you agree a little bit. I mean, no, of course, I do. Yeah, it's like we are, by definition, we are biased towards the airport we fly the most to. This is why sometimes in this show, by the way, guys, we talk about BA more than other airlines because we 
have exposure to BA. Doorstep, BA, yeah. is, BA is what? 50% at least of uh, of Ethro and a good chunk of, uh, of Gatwick. And of course, LC, LCY, etc., etc. But also... You average your experiences. If you fly once with Asiana, I flew twice in my life with Asiana. The two times were amazing. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm still going to say it's amazing. But then I fly, you know, all the time with Lufthansa and BN. And sometimes, you know, the crew is not great. Or sometimes there's an issue. Sometimes there's a delay. And, of course, over time, you tend to say, ah, it's meh. And then you have one problem. And people have the tendency to remember only the last flight. And, like, of course, I've been delayed for five hours, which happened for me, for instance, with EasyJet. Do I say that EasyJet is the worst airline ever? No. I know yeah. it's no, 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 we no. have if you ask if you ask you know it's really the exposure to familiarity with the product I mean I guess if you live in San Francisco United is you get to go and of course you shout about uh, United and obviously a lot of the tech blogs for instance people live in San Francisco thus United gets all the freaking bad press yeah, besides yeah. the bad press it sometimes deserve that's the same thing for, for with PA and it's also from probably in the UK an emotional level which I might not have because I was not born here. It's like it's a national carrier. The national carrier can't be that. And I've flown them for 30 years and it used to be amazing and it's not the case anymore. Is that the worst airline ever? No, come on. No, not even close. Not even close. I think that last point is actually probably the root cause of this is that the standards were so high and we hold them to a very high standard because they are the flag carrier or the national carrier or, or, or even unofficially that we expect them to have unbelievably high standards or we hold them to unbelievably high standards. And when they yeah, maybe. when they consistently devalue the product, then we are disproportionately disappointed in that. But, you know, I've flown on some terrible airlines and BA is nowhere near as bad as any of them. It's just, it's, it's all relative. But I get it. People are angry. People are disappointed, probably, with not meeting the expectations they have in their mind because sometimes the expectations are most like idealistic, it's like you want the airline, you want the product, and it could be any kind of product, to be what you wanted it to be, and it's not, or it's not anymore, and you idealize the past. Oh, it used to be amazing. Well, you were young. Does you know? It's also, it's not only about, maybe the product was better, probably some of the products in some airlines were better, but also when we tend to think about what happened 20 years ago, well, we were 20 years younger, so our outlook of life expectations were different, and of course, it looked amazing at, at back then, and now we're blasé, you know, frequent flyers, and you're like, what? I don't have like an apartment for myself in yeah. economy. You know, it's like it's. I, I you know, I, I'm not going to say it's not going downwards. They are clearly less legroom, etc. But worst airline ever? No, not even close. I mean, there was a great article in the Economist today oh. or yesterday. Did you read this from yeah. Gulliver about BA needing a second flag carrier? I love that article to, to to put some competition. And if I was if I was Virgin, I would be kind of be like, uh, hello. We've Hello. been saying this for a very long time. BA gets such sweet deals at Heathrow that it's been very difficult for them to the, establish themselves. The, yeah, but that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Is that uh, what was, I think, the most expensive slot at Heathrow, and I think in the world, one of the world, was, I think, was, was it Oman Air who bought for 75 million a pair of slots? Yeah. Uh, from, 75 from, from million? Virgin, yeah. 75 million. So that's the price of a pair of slots. Pairs is departure arrival, guys. So... We know that uh, Aetherite is overcapacity, but let's not forget that BA, due to its position as the national carrier, ex-national, whatever you want to call it, because they're privatized, well, most of these slots they're having, and that's what, at least more than 50%, they never paid for them. Yeah. So they have like a, a, a position, like if you're Oman Air, and since we're going to Muscat today, if you're Oman Air, you have to pay $75 million for, well, one landing and one departure. 
whereas BA sits on a gold mine of slots that it basically does never had to pay for. It had to pay some of the latest ones, obviously, but never had to pay for the first one, the acquired one. So that gives them like a almost a monopoly on on on, on monopoly is a bit too much maybe, but on, on Ethereum. So like you say, that's not conducive to to competition. No, I don't know if we should reattribute some of the slots. That's basically what Gulliver said. Is it maybe you know some of the slots should be reattributed, put to auction or something, because at the end of the day. This is how you create competition in the market. Yeah, especially, you know, in the year 2175, when we have the third runway at Heathrow, and a little <laughs> bit more capacity, you would hope that they think very carefully about how they're going to allocate and distribute that new capacity to, to address this problem. But who knows what state BA will be in by then. And this is not an anti-BA stance. It's exactly the same type of stance we have against the biggest American carriers. You guys are overprotected. We should have more JetBlues and more small airlines actually trying to, whatever, maybe they will fail, maybe the product will suck, but trying to offer something different. Yeah. And well, if BA or United or any other has to disappear in the process, I mean, we might be sad, but that's life, you know? There are a lot of big careers that have disappeared because competition, yeah. because people pay and vote with their wallet. They don't vote with emotions. I mean, although emotions matter for customer experience, at the end of the day, you choose a product and you pay for it. Exactly. Anyway, so, well, we'll continue to traveling BA. And I'm sorry, Alex, that I have these heads. No, no, I, I don't begrudge anybody who received it. I just think it was silly for them to do. Dude, I have uh, several uh, flights, like six or seven or eight legs with BA coming up uh, long haul. So I'm not taking my business elsewhere just yet. But I guarantee you, that if I had been guaranteed, you know, given that that extension, I would have gone at least one of those legs on Virgin just to see what the product's like. By the way, guys, if you live in the UK or can have a flight that departs in the UK, and if you buy a flight by the end of June, a flight that will happen throughout the summer until September third in business class, I know it's not affordable from the from the UK. You can call, uh, it's on the website, and you might get a free upgrade to first class. Uh, that's a pretty sweet deal. I don't know uh, what are the exact terms and conditions besides having a flight that leaves from the UK and comes back. I, it, I think has it has to be, to be in a return. certain uh, fare buckets, the higher fare buckets. And yeah, the flexible fare buckets, basically. Yes. You only get yes. it on one, one leg, not both legs. Uh, you know, I've never been in first on BA. I might use BA, as I just said, although I'm just looking at other options. BA might still be my, my better option to Manila this summer. So I'm thinking that, you know, I will just give a call. Of course, it's subject to seat availability because if there's nothing, you know, there's yeah, nothing. Uh, BA doesn't do a direct to Manila. I will have to stop in Hong Kong, which is clearly not a bad thing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Ever, especially for that, for you know these Apple products that are very cheap there. <laughs> so back to the Middle East, Muscat. Uh, first, before the airport, any reviews? Any have you flown Oman Air? Yes, I have many, many times because my How father used to work for them. Oh, so I flew. Yeah, when it back then, which was five or six years ago, it was fantastic. I had a oh, okay, phenomenal wow. business class product. I did the. London to Muscat, Muscat to Kuala Lumpur quite a few times, and then just back and forth to Muscat. It was, and I, I gather it still is a fantastic product. Oh, I'm asking you that because that's one of the options that I keep seeing to do one of my trips to Manera since I have, you know, I just looked Google image search pictures and stuff. So I have no real ID. So ah, I will consider it. Yeah, they, huh. they, it was very, very impressive service 
the, when you if you go on the A330 because they have Dreamliners now, they the way that they integrated some some traditional Omani sort of fixtures into the actual cabin fixtures themselves was really clever. I I really liked my experience with them. So what about uh, that airport at Muscat that I've never done? Uh, it's a little tired, and when I say a little, I mean very. Uh, the, the the current terminal itself is from the 70s, and they've just kind of been bolting stuff onto it because they've been building this new, essentially a new airport, but they'll keep the old terminal open as well for forever. And it's supposed to open at the end of this year and will bring a lot oh. more capacity to, uh, to, to the airport because right now it handles about, I think, about 12 million passengers, and the new – Terminal will allow the capacity to go up to 48 million passengers annually. So that, that's, oh, that's, a, that's a huge uh, thing. That's I mean, big, actually. The current, the current terminal has no jet bridges, so it's buses to every oh. flight. Yeah. And when it's, oh. you know, this is the Middle East, it's the desert, so it can get up to 50 degrees in the summer, and that's pretty unpleasant. And they have a weird thing where, where there's a separate bus for business and first-class passengers, that, and it goes last. Uh, so you mean three buses because you have economy, business, and first, but the board... No, the, so, the so you have, a, you have a, a, a bus for business and first, and then buses oh. for everybody else. Okay, 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 okay. And the business and first bus will go will go last, uh-huh. which I don't really like. So I, I, I try and get on the economy bus, and they're like, oh, no, no, there's a special bus for you over there. And I'm like, no, I want to go on this one. I think the rationale is, you know, spend as much time as you can in the lounge and we'll get you on the plane and then we'll take off straight away. But you know what? That's exactly what uh, Emirates does as well. So when you're in the lounge, there's no bus. I mean, there are a few buses, actually. Now, let's let's be honest. In uh, Dubai, because they don't have room anymore. They have like aprons everywhere. But it's also the same mentality. You will get called for your flight uh, as business or first when basically economy is uh, is already seated. They even have at... um, and Dubai, they even have like a bus first class, a bus business class, and a bus economy. Oh, and wow. I remember once being upgraded in first and having a full bus, you know, with gold and leather and whatever, for, just for myself. I was like, how silly can it be? I could wow. have just taken the next. Anyway, but yeah, I, I kind of like also being early and not being last. But anyway. Yeah, I, I do too. I do too. And I... I... I always tried to sneak myself onto the uh, to the economy bus. The, <laughs> the the airport only has one runway right now, but as part of this massive expansion, they are building a second runway, which will increase oh, wow. the capacity of the airport okay. uh, exponentially. Because they are trying to turn, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of it, Muscat into a you know a layover destination in the vein of Doha and Abu Dhabi and Dubai because like the rest of those places it's 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 geographically in a very optimal spot to hit the rest yeah. of it. so yeah. so you know you can get to KL like I said on Oman Airways and and Bangkok and a few other southeast asian destinations as well because hmm. you know and and they have a very very strong network in India as well so they've got 737s and Embraers for that market as well as the Dreamliners and the A330s for their intercontinental routes. So yeah, it's um it's an airport that's in transition, and it was cool to be able to go behind the scenes a couple of times with my father when he worked there, and kind of explore the airport. And this is where I got to go on board and Illusion Seventy Eight mm. <laughs> ah. because it's one of those airports where 
that's just used as a transition point for deployment to some of the military theaters. Yeah. So, you know, okay. Afghanistan at the time and this Aleutian 78 came in and they said, Hey, come check it out and get to crawl inside. And it was a Russian crew and they were delivering a, like a big power generator to somewhere in the Middle East. But it was a yeah, very, very cool airplane to, to check out. Very, 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 very jealous. I mean, yeah, it was a 78 or 76. I think she might have been a 76. They're very similar airplanes, but it's the one with the big observation bubble at the front. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it was like oh. it was like climbing around inside like a, a, a ship or a submarine. It was all metallic ladders and bare metal and, and yeah, and very, very wow. cool. So and wow. it's a great place. Like I said at the top of the show, if you get an opportunity to go to Oman, there are so many great places to explore in and around Muscat and also places like Salalah, which is uh, close to the, the border with Yemen. And it's mm-hmm. sort of lush, verdant, beautiful. Oman is a place uh, I, I'm very fond of. Yeah, many friends of mine have been there in resorts and or exploring. They all came back with a very similar outlook as in people super friendly and very like a surprising because you know we have this tendency of believing that when you go in the region well it's desert right yeah. and there's a desert and desert and desert and there's actually much more differentiated yep. landscape in Oman in uh, some of these places so yeah I've never been and I really I really should I strongly encourage you to do so it's just a great place if only to fly Oman Air. No. <laughs> well that too and yeah I know you know they check them out they're great they fly to a lot of places in Europe as well yeah, yeah. Uh, I will. I will clearly check them out because it's one of my options to go to Asia. So, uh, because surprisingly, Rome is not as well served. No, as you're I right. Thought. I noticed that too. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Alitalia, but since Alitalia is bankrupt, I'm like, maybe no. I mean, they have, of course, Etihad does a lot because, of course, they have this. You know, they Alitalia belongs to Etihad in a way. So, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, same thing we said about Qatar or at the top of the show. When you have this uncertainty about the possibility of an airline to still live, I mean, Qatar Airways will live, but you're like, should I actually take a bet on an airline that might disappear because they're currently in bankruptcy operations? I, I just don't know. But Oman Air, yeah, I will definitely want to try that. Yeah, it's, you definitely, uh, I, I, I was impressed. Do you think they will go into play as the other, you know, ME3 and say we want to do like a bigger hub and have also like bigger planes and try to, because the geography, like we just said, is... Very, Very possibly. I, I don't know. They've, they've had a few leadership changes in the last five to six years, and I think the strategy has shifted a little bit. But yes, they, they, I think that's the plan is to make it not just a tourism destination, but a but a hub destination as well. And so although the new airport hasn't opened yet, would you do a layover there? Yes. I, <laughs> the, it's just a fun place to explore. I mean, the airport itself is is a little bit out from the uh, from the downtown area, but yeah, I think a day there at least is 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 worth doing. Just a just a great country. Well, there you go. A place to go, guys. If you've been there, if you've um, whenever you see the new airport, let us know. I'm curious about that region, so I will clearly try to go. I, I keep saying that to a lot of the places you've been. At, like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I also want to spend a lot more time in the Middle East. I should like expand my vision beyond Dubai and Abu Dhabi. There's other places there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we had uh, one review uh, on Facebook from uh, Vincent uh, Hammerley. Thank you so much for the five stars. Guys, well, if you're so kind enough to give us uh, some uh, iTunes or Facebook reviews, please do. Again, even some, 
for the moment we never had a bad one but Not feel yet. free <laughs> feel free feel free if you think we suck you can also say it of course you know you know it's like uber right now we're so happy to have like a consistent five star it's bound to drop a little bit yeah but i mean please let us know uh, if you have uh, otherwise you can find us you know facebook uh slash layovers dot two of course at lay underscore overs i wish i could have that layovers on on twitter if if you guys know anyone on twitter i could get us that 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 would be that good. handle i would be good uh as usual please give us all the reviews everything you you have spotted that you want us to talk about i will say one thing is sometimes we are overwhelmed by messages and we cannot mention you all so please forgive us for not doing so and i want to give a special thanks to all those guys that are listening who sent us messages when the attacks in london happened to ask us whether or not we were right yes, yes we were it's still a sad time but thank you so much for your concern guys we really do appreciate that a lot and to finish any forthcoming flights alex madrid and san jose in the next couple of weeks so how are you going to madrid easy jet oh yeah that's the easiest option right yeah. it's uh, I, where- I have uh very limited time so i needed to find flights that fit in with my schedule and EasyJet were the only people that did it in gatwick right yeah we like EasyJet. Yeah. We like EasyJet. They're always a good option to uh, fly to places in Europe. Uh, for me, what am I doing? Oh, well, Sofia tomorrow. So I'm, I'm still... So <laughs> uh, I'm currently on Lufthansa tomorrow, 6.30 via... I think I'm going to uh, Frankfurt on the way in and uh, Munich on the way back, ah. if I'm not... Or maybe the opposite. But I'm thinking of changing it because there was a change of plans and so I might actually end up with BA. But I've done the mistake that I've never do. I think I've taken a non-refundable, non-rebookable flight with Lufthansa, so now I'm like ah. stuck. So I'm, I'm going to call them and test what are the limits of being a senator or whatever. Maybe I have like some special rules, but I think I've made that mistake. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, uh, that will be it. And then uh, a few other flights obviously coming up, but probably we'll record before then. So happy travels. Safe travels, guys. <laughs> <laughs>